Take a moment, please, and turn to Romans 12. Now let's look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have as believers to have in our possession your precious word. And we thank you that we can be together today in this place to acknowledge you. We do pray, Father God, for those who are recovering from COVID, that you'd have your hand upon them, restore them back to health and strength, Father God. Uh, those who have uh, maybe suffered a little bit more than others, we pray, Father God, for those who are isolated because of COVID, you have your hand upon them this day too. We just pray that you bless now as we join together in this place. May you be exalted, may you be praised. May we uh, indeed, Father God, receive from you what you have for us in this your precious word. Uh, Lord, give me uh, guidance as I present your truth this morning. May I speak only those things you would have me to say. And may we receive, Father God, from you that which you'd have for us. And may we be able to leave this place this day rejoicing. And we know that we've been in your presence. Have we known that you've spoken to us through your word? Bless us now as we study it together. God, as we pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's been observed that how we view God in our minds matters. And therefore, the renewing of our mind is of gravest importance to us. As we continue looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we need to understand that these verses are critical, or rather of critical importance, to our walk of faith. It's the major turning point of the book of Romans, where the Lord, by Paul, is trying to woo us. He's trying to help us to understand how to live a righteous life. And he explains that it begins with practicing righteousness towards God here in verses 1 and 2. And Romans 12, 1 and 2 appeals to the character of God to challenge you and I to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is Romans 12, 1, of course. Apostle Paul says that because of the salvation spoken of in the previous chapters, particularly Romans 1 through 8, it's only reasonable that you and I should practice righteous living, that you and I would present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, because this is the reasonable service. He then continues in verse 2, and he says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It might be said that Romans 12.1 is a call to inner consecration, and Romans 12.2 deals with maintaining that consecration. Romans may also be challenged, uh, spoken of as being the challenge to bring out that inner consecration by an outward transformation. Romans 12.1 deals with making a commitment and Romans 12.2 with maintaining that commitment. One commentator put it this way, the first verse calls for an explicit act. The second commands a resultant lifelong process. These verses are called from an act of presentation and the resultant duty of transformation. This morning we're going to start looking at this resultant duty of transformation. 
So you come to Romans 12, 2, the book of Romans here begins with a negative imperative. We're challenged in verse 2 to be not conformed to this world. It says that in verse 2, and be not conformed to this world. The word conform means do not continually conform yourself. Do not allow yourself to be fashioned in accordance with or assimilated by this world. Don't any longer allow the patterns of this world to influence our lives. The text in the Greek literally says, stop being molded by this age. You and I are, as believers, challenged here to not allow this world in which we live, this present age in which we live, not allow it to have an impact upon us, not allow it to affect you and I, the way we think, the way we live, the way we behave, is not to be influenced by this present world. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, this warns us that, this, that, that the world system, the popular culture and manner of thinking that is in rebellion against God will try to conform us to its ungodly pattern and that process must be resisted. The world wants you and I to conform to its pattern. The world wants you and I to conform to its way of thinking. It wants you and I to conform to the way of living. But the challenge here in Romans 12 is that you and I resist that plead, that you and I resist that world's pull upon us. In other words, we must look at our lives and make sure that we're not allowing the attitudes of this culture in which we live, not allow the attitude of this age in which we live to shape us. As those of us who have been justified and therefore also been sanctified, you and I have been saved by grace and you and I have been set apart unto God as his children, we are not to try and keep up with the fashion of this world. You and I are not supposed to keep up literally with the fashion of the age or the times in which we live. Pastor Mitchell in his commentary on Romans says this, now this is completely opposite, the opposite to the normal nature of the unregenerate men who for the most part try to assimilate with their peers. In fact, this desire to assimilate is a function of our need for identity and acceptance, the need to feel that we belong. So whatever is the trend of those who want, we want to identify with, that becomes the focus of our conformity. Now it's true that this focus differs for every individual person, whether saved or unsaved. But to a greater or lesser degree, it's true of all of us. We all desire acceptance. We all desire uh, 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 that which allows us to fit in in society. You and I don't want to really be oddballs. You and I want to fit in. You and I want to be accepted by some group or some people of some sorts. And in our need to conform, in our need to fit in, we seek to project a certain image, which is all important to whatever that image is that we want to be part of. Now, it may well be that for some believers, it simply is conforming to the image of a certain group of believers. For the unsaved, it's conforming to the world. For some believers, it's conforming to the world because they want to fit in in society. But all of us 
are influenced in a way by the people we want to be accepted by, it has an impact upon us. The way we dress, the way we act, the way we talk, the way we think, the things we do are impacted by the very people that you and I want to gain acceptance with. It's certainly true for teenagers. We all hear of peer pressure. You know, there is a peer group in which they want to feel accepted, they want to feel belonging to, they want to be liked, they don't want to be seen as some oddball, some uh, strange person, they want to be like that, and the peer pressure forces them to conform or desire to conform to that group, therefore to gain acceptance. But it's true for adults too. You and I can all be influenced by the people around us, whether in the workplace, whether in our social gatherings, whether it be in church, we can be influenced by that because we want to fit in, we want to feel accepted. And while we all know that conformity to the world is wrong, you and I can all be shaped by the world if we're not careful. You know, it's easy to start making a list about the things that shape us in the society in which we live. TV shapes us. It shapes our language. It shapes our attitude to others. It shapes our willingness to stand for social issues. It shapes our acceptance of violent acts. We're not just passive participants when we watch TV. The internet definitely shapes us. And just one area, Facebook has completely redefined what friendship means. And many have bought into that definition. Culture shapes us. Materialism, status. What makes a person of value? Style trends. Dress standards. Self-centeredness are all affected by the culture in which we live. Our culture shapes us. Now, whether we like it or not as believers, to varying degrees, all of these things shape you and I. We are all affected by the world in which we live. We can't avoid that. We live in this world. Unless we go and find ourselves a, a, you know, a shanty somewhere and sit there on our own on a desert island and never meet anybody else, we're all fashioned to certain degrees by the culture in which we live. We can't avoid it. We will always be confronted with the patterns of this world. The question then is, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? See, God doesn't want us to have lives which are unthinking, which are directionless, which are purposeless. He wants you and I to have a righteous purpose he wants you and I to live righteously in this present world. Isn't that what Titus 2 tells us? That you and I live to live godly, soberly, and righteously in this present world, looking for the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You and I are to live a certain way. People are supposed to be able to see Christ in us, according to Colossians, Christ in us, the hope of glory. You and I are supposed to be shaped and influenced by the Lord, that you and I are what he wants to be. He doesn't want you and I to be 
unthinking, as I said, and purposeless. One commentator illustrated it this way. He says, one way to think about it is to see that our lives are either going to be like a thermometer or a thermostat. Both of these items are related to temperature. Now, there is a big difference between them. A thermometer merely tells you what the temperature is, so it is controlled by the environment it is in. A thermostat controls the temperature, which in turn controls the environment. When it comes to our reaction to the world, we cannot be thermometer Christians. We cannot allow the thinking of the world to determine what our lives are going to be like. Instead, we need to be thermostat Christians. And I thought that was a pretty good illustration. You see, we're not supposed to allow the world to influence the way we are, the world to influence the way we think, the world to influence the way we behave. You and I are supposed to be the influencers. We are supposed to set the standard. We're supposed to set the pace. We're supposed to set the testimony. We're supposed to be the, the, the lights in this dark world. We are supposed to stand out from the crowd. We are to be peculiar people, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We are different. We are new creatures in Christ. We are supposed to be thermostats, not thermometers. We ought to dare to be different. You know, like Daniel of old, we need to dare to be different. Like Joseph, we need to dare to be different. We need to take a stand. You and I need to stand up and make our lives count because you and I are following the purposes of Christ. It says here that we are not to be conformed to this world. We're not allowed the influences, the, the philosophies, the standards of this world to affect you and I. We are supposed to live above that. fact is the world is full of different images that we can conform to but for those of us in Christ conforming to the world is not consistent with consecration it's not consistent with presenting our bodies as living sacrifices holy and acceptable unto God if we surrendered our bodies to God then the question should not be what is the fashion of the world? The question that you and I should ask is, what image does God want me to conform to? What does God want me to look like? What does God want me to act like? What does God want me to be? Pastor Mitchell, again, said this, the question is, what does God want me to wear as clothes or bodily ornaments or his length of hair, or what does he want me to allow into my body by way of food and drink? What does he want me to conform to in my speech? What friendships does he want me to have? That's the questions we need to ask. That's what does he want us to be? What does God want for me? What does God want for you? You know, when we study the Bible and you read the, the Old and New Testament, we find many imperatives, many commands that are found in God's Word with regard to areas of our life where God makes it clear what God wants for us. 
how God wants us to live, how God wants us to act, how God wants us to appear, how God wants us to dress, how God wants us to to, uh, go about our daily lives. God gives directions to you and I on how we are to live. He gives over and over again passages that help us know what God wants us to be as believers. Unfortunately, too many, they'll look for their fashion, for their philosophy, for their way of thinking from the world. Even we as believers, too many of the times believers allow the world to fashion us. We allow the world to tell us what's fashionable. We allow the world to influence us. But what really should matter is what does God want for us? We're his children. We belong to him. We're bought with a price. Now we're to glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which are his. One commentator put it in simple terms like this, by way of illustration, we shouldn't be concerned if it is Nike or Adidas or what the latest fashion is, but we should ask, is it modest? Is it good stewardship to buy it? Is it pleasing to the Lord? See, what matters is not so much what the world thinks, but what does God think? What does God want? We're not to be part of the world. We're part of the world system. We live in the world. We can't change that, but we're not supposed to be part of the world. We're to live above the world. We should not look to the world for our standards, look to the world for our philosophy, look to the world for our thinking, look to the world for our dress. We should look to God. 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Galatians 4.1, we're told that Christ died to deliver us from this present evil world. And therefore, as believers, we're not to conform ourselves to this world. We're, we should delight or should delight in and practice that which is acceptable to God, not which that is conformity to the world. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5, please. Ephesians 5. And verse 8. For you are sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of the things which are done of them in secret. You and I are no longer darkness. You and I are light, and therefore we're to walk as the children of light, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. It doesn't matter what the world thinks of us. It doesn't matter what the world desires for us. It doesn't matter what the world's standards are. What's acceptable to God? And whether you're young or old today, that standard is the same. What does God what is acceptable to him? 
And if we're going to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, then we must not be conformed to this world, but, secondly, we must be transformed, as verse 2 says. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're to be transformed. We're not to be conformed. We're to be transformed. We're to no longer be conformed to this world. We're no longer to be shaped by this world. We are to be transformed from above. The word transformed here means taking on new form. It carries the idea of a change that starts within and has its appearance on the outside. Conformity means that you and I conform to outward practices, that you and I do what we're commanded to do, that you and I conform to standards, you and I conform to practices, you and I conform to everything that's told us to do. Transformation starts in the heart. It's a change of our hearts. We're transformed from within, and that transformation then bleeds out in the way we are. Paul starts the verse by telling us the wrong cause, conforming to the world. He then says, but. This is a strong alternative. This word, but to the conformity of the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what God wants for those that he has saved. God wants you and I to be transformed. He wants you and I to have a transformation that takes place in the heart, that takes place inside of us. Because you and I are new creatures in Christ, that God starts to work within and he transforms you and I. He transforms our thinking as we're going to see and he transforms our desires so that we now start to act outwardly what we are inwardly. That's why even at youth club, like proteins, we spend so much time teaching the word of God to the young people and we have them memorize the word of God because we know that the way that they will be what God wants to be is as God transforms them. You can make young people conform to a set of standards or you can let God transform them from the inside and transformation has lifelong effect where conformity only lasts for a period of time. God wants for those that he saves. Somebody said, God does not want Christianized worldlings or worldly Christians, but Christians transformed by their contact with a living Savior. God wants you and I to be transformed. The word transformed is used in Matthew chapter 17. Go back there with me, please. Because Matthew 17 kind of gives you and I an understanding of what the word transform means. Matthew chapter 17. And if you don't know, Matthew chapter 17 is the man of transfiguration. And in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 1 and 2, the word transformed of Romans 12.1 is translated, Romans 12.2, is translated transfigured. Notice what it says in verse 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringing them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them the same word. 
and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. He was transfigured, he was transformed before them. Now when we notice this, what we need to understand is that Jesus was still able to be recognized for who he was. Look in verse 4. It says, Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here, if thou wilt, let us here make, uh, sorry, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. Peter still recognized the Lord. He was transfigured before them, but he did not change his form. They still knew who he was. His shape did not change. Somehow his outward appearance was transformed. The Greek word is the one, is the word from where we get our English word metamorphosis. It means to change the external form from within. You know, like the caterpillar, then becomes the grub, and inside the grub, that grub turns into a butterfly, and when the uh, cocoon breaks open, a beautiful butterfly flies away, the change is from within. That, that creature is metamorphosed, changed from within, transformed from being a grub to being a butterfly. In Matthew chapter 17, the Lord Jesus changed from his earthly to the heavenly. So that on the outside, what they saw was the glory of the Lord. They saw his Shekinah glory, what he was on the inside. Jesus Christ is God of very God. He is God manifest in the flesh. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, the disciples got to see a glimpse of his glory. What he was on the inside appeared to them on the outside. He was transfigured. He was transformed before them. That's what God wants for you and I who are saved. Those of us who name the name of Christ... He wants you and I to be transformed. He wants everyone on the outside to see what we are on the inside. You and I are new creatures in Christ. You and I are, are, are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You and I, have, the old man is dead, the new man is alive. What God wants for you and I is that that which we are internally through salvation, everyone observes externally by transformation. We're justified, and now we are to be sanctified. The Lord desires for us to be transformed in the image of Christ. Look at Romans 8. Romans 8, 29. For whom the Lord did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, you might be the first one among my brethren. God wants you and I to be conformed to the image of his son. Let me quote Pastor Mitchell again for you. Just like a grub that is earthbound has to be metamorphosed to become a butterfly in order to fly into the heavens, so too God wants the justified who were once in Adam 
who is of the earth, earthy, to be transformed in the image of Christ, who is of heaven, heavenly. And that is possible because we are now in Christ. You know, Romans chapter 1 through 8 has spent time explaining to you and I what we are in Christ. That you and I were sinners. We're on our way to hell. And all of us sin and come short of the glory of God, but by the great work of justification, Romans 5, by the great work of justification, you and I have been changed. You and I have been justified. And as Romans 8 tells us, you and I therefore, because there is no condemnation, ought to walk in the Spirit. And when you and I apply the truth of Romans 1 through 8 to our lives, as you and I allow God to work in us, you and I will be transformed in the image of Christ. Dan mentioned a bit about this in Sunday school this morning. He kind of touched on it. I thought he was actually going to preach my sermon for me a little bit because he actually touched on this whole thing, this change that happens from within. When we're transformed, that change should be obvious. Our shape will not change. You know, you get saved. The next day you look in the mirror, you look the same you did the day before. As you and I yield ourselves unto God, as you and I are allowing God to transform us, you and I do not change on the outward. We don't start to look differently. But the truth of the matter is, while our outward appearance does not change, it ought to the very least reflect the change that's taken place. Our lives ought to reflect heaven. Heavenly values, heavenly attitudes, heavenly temperament, heavenly speech, and we go on. Ought to be evident in our lives. And as you and I yield to the Holy Spirit, we will be empowered to live heavenly lives. We'll, those heavenly lives will be evident in us. It's allowing God to work in us. And this word transform, one preacher said this, the meaning is, do not cherish a spirit devoted to the world, following its vain fashions and pleasures, but cultivate a spirit attached to God and his kingdom and his cause. Now the world controls our mind, we will be conformed. If the Holy Spirit controls our minds, we will be transformed. So in this passage, as we're challenged to live righteously and to have a righteous life towards God, a righteous attitude towards God, and to live the way God wants us to, as we're commanded to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service, firstly, we're not to be conformed to this world. Secondly, we are to be transformed. And now Paul tells us how to achieve this transformation. It is by the renewing of the mind, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, the battleground between conforming to the world and being transformed is within the mind of the believer. You and I, as Christians, must think differently. All around us, the world is seeking to influence our thinking. Seeking to conform us to its way of life by changing our thinking, 
by getting us to think like the world thinks, by getting us to think like the world would have us to be shaped. And you and I are continually bombarded by the world. The world is continually seeking to shape you and I, to conform you and I to its way of thinking. But as believers, if you and I are going to be transformed, then you and I need to have a change of thinking. We need to think differently. We need to think like God thinks. You know, years ago, there was that phrase, what would Jesus do? And the, the purpose of that was to get young people in particular to start thinking like the Lord. We need to have a change of thinking. We need to have a different mindset. And this transformation happens in our minds as we're renewed. That's what it says. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As our minds are renewed, we will be transformed. That is where the sacrifice of our bodies happens. If you and I are going to present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, then that happens in our minds. We have to choose to surrender. We talked about that last week. It's the choice that we have as believers. We have to choose to obey. We have to choose to surrender. We have to choose to yield unto him. We have to choose to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. Why? Because it's a reasonable service. It's the thing we need to think about. Based upon all that God's done for us, all the mercy of God that God has done for you and I, based upon that, you and I are challenged to change our thinking to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we might indeed present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. God does this moment by moment, second by second, day by day, hour by hour, by renewing our minds, not by conforming our actions. I mean, you can read the New Testament. It talks about legalism and liberty. Legalism is all about conforming our actions to comply with God's word. Liberty is transformation, where we change our thinking and we willingly conform to God's word. What God wants for you and I is not that you and I would legalistically be put into a box and that you and I would live by those legalistic standards, but that you and I would have a change of thinking and we willingly do what God asks of us. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4, please. Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 22. It says, verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God has created in righteousness and true holiness. 
God's word here challenges you and I to be renewed in the spirit of our mind so we might put on the new man. Once we're saved, you and I must have transformed minds so that we think differently, so that we do as God wills for us willingly. Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We had to have the thinking of Christ. We had to think like him. That's what transformation is. Transformation is as our minds are changed, as our minds thinking changes, as we think differently. You and I will look at the world differently. We'll look at the world's philosophy differently. We'll look at the world's desires differently. We'll look at the world's fashion differently. We'll look at the world's music differently. We'll look at everything around us differently because we'll see it all through the mind of Christ. We'll think like the Lord. It's not an overall transformation. It's a complete change of mind. It starts within and works its way out. Look in Philippians 2.12. Philippians 2.12. Philippians 2.12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. God's working in us to willing to do his good pleasure. Therefore, you and I are to see an outworking of our salvation in our lives daily as we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. So the truth is, whoever or whatever has control of our minds will control our life. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. As you and I think, is how you and I will behave. That's why as parents we have such a, a massive responsibility in raising our children. We have to help them to think right. We have to help them to think godly. We have to help them to understand what godly thinking looks like. We have to help them in the word of God to understand God's will, to understand God's way, to understand God's standards, that they might be influenced by the word of God, that we train them in the things of the Lord so that when they are old, they'll not depart from those things because they've been so entrenched and so drenched by the word of God that they have a thinking that is glorious and a thinking that is godly. They're thinking like the Lord. Because as we think in our hearts, so are we. Somebody said if we want transform living we need transform thinking must be throwing out of the old way of thinking and place them with a new way of thinking and that only happens as you and I spend time in the word of God look at Psalm 119 Psalm 119 there is no other way for you and I to be transformed for you and I to renew our minds, to renew our thinking them by the word of God. Look in Psalm 119, verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto, according to thy word, with my whole heart have I sought thee. 
Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord. Teach me thy statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies. As much as is in all riches, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Go to uh, verse 133 as well, please. Psalm 119, 133. It says, Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Deliver me from the oppression of man, so will I keep thy precepts. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant, and teach me thy statutes. Rivers of water run down mine eyes, because they keep not thy law. You and I are to spend time in the word of God. How will we cleanse our way? By taking heed to the word of God. It's the word of God that's a light to our path, a lamp to our feet alway. It's the word of God that will change our thinking. Now the only other place the word transformed is used by the Apostle Paul is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. Not the verse that Darren mentioned this morning in Sunday school. 2 Corinthians 3.18. So that we all with, an, with open face beholding as in the glass the glory of the Lord are changed in the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And the word change there is the word transformed, metamorphosis. You and I are all changed. We're transformed from the inside out. We're changed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. And how does he do that? Verse 18 starts out, But we all with open face behold as in the glass the glory of the Lord. The transformation, the renewing of our minds takes place as we behold the face of God and the glory of God in the word of God. As you and I gaze into this book, as we look into the glass of the glory of the Lord, as we look in the mirror of God's word and we see God's glory, then what happens is that you and I are changed in the same image from glory to glory by the Holy Spirit, that indwelling Holy Spirit that you and I have as believers begins his work within us as you and I behold the glory of God in his word and he transforms us, changes us into the image of Christ. This transformation and renew our minds take place only as we spend time in God's word. The spirit of God makes the changes through the mirror of God's word See, this is not you and I conforming to a set of rules, a set of standards. This is not you and I changing the way we think, changing the way we live. But it's you and I spending time with our God in his word and allowing the glory of God to shine upon us and allowing the spirit of God then to work in us. And we are renewed in the spirit of our minds so that we are transformed in the image of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty spectacular. God wants me to be transformed. And he tells me that the way he's going to do that is he's going to do the work in me 
through the renewing of my mind. And he gave me his word so that I might be renewed. I just love that. When God gives me a command, God then gives me the means by which to do it. Aren't you thankful for that? God says, I don't want you to be conformed to this world, but I want you to be transformed. And he doesn't end the verse there. He says, now I'm going to tell you how you're going to be transformed. It happens by the renewing of your mind. And where do you get your mind renewed? In the word of God. And as you observe my glory in my word, I will use the Holy Spirit within you to change you, to transform you, to metamorphose you into the image of Christ. If we read, hear, study, memorize, meditate on, and submit ourselves to the word of God, the Holy Spirit will guide us empower us and change us so that we might be transformed to the glory of God. Somebody said he will challenge our thinking about everything from the music we listen to to how we raise our kids. God wants you and I to be transformed into the image of Christ and he does it by the word of God. One last verse. Let's go to 2 Timothy, please. You know these verses well. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? What's the whole purpose of the Word of God? Why does it uh, why does it give us doctrine? Why does it reprove us? Why does it correct us? Why does it instruct us? Well, the reason is that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, that we might be transformed. By the word of God, that we might in turn do the good works of God. And this transformation is a continual process. The work takes place, according to 2 Corinthians 3 18, from glory to glory. From the moment of justification to the day of our glorification, God wants daily for you and I to be transformed in the image of Christ from glory to glory. That's sanctification. God does not want you and I to be conformed to this world. He wants you and I to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we need to ask ourselves today, who is in control of our minds? We cannot know the joy that God would have each of us enjoy until we surrendered to him. Daily we need to be renewed by finding God in his word so that we be transformed, that you and I will be changed into the image of Christ. You and I need to let the word of God penetrate our hearts so that we might practice righteous living, that we might practice righteousness towards God, that we might indeed present our bodies living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. As the song says, we need to surrender all. All to Jesus, all belongs to him. Let's each of us allow God to transform us by the renewing of our minds.
Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this day for your word. We thank you for the challenge, Father God, to be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And Lord God, may we each ask the question, who controls our minds? Are we being controlled and influenced by the world? Or are we allowing the word of God, as we observe the glory of God, to be changed by the Spirit of God into the image of Christ from glory to glory. Lord, help each and every one of us be willing to surrender all because all to Jesus we owe this day. Bless us now as we close. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As pastor comes, let's turn to hymn number 393. 393.